Hello, Jordan. What's up, Michael? Hang on. Am I am I hearing you through your mic? I don't know if I am. Let me check. Yeah, through my mic. Okay. Am I hearing you through your mic? <laughs> From the top. No, we'll just keep all this in the podcast. No, it's not good. It's not good content. Dude, this is great. This is a great hook. This is what they call a hook. This get is them, not... Get them hooked in. First three seconds. <laughs> this is a terrible hook. <laughs> What's up, man? How are you? How's 310 to Yuma? Well, the first, I would say... Well, hang on. Are we going to give spoilers? All right. We're going to spoil the movie 310 to Yuma, which is, <laughs> I think, over 15 years old. So, <laughs> if you don't want to hear... It's, it's a... It's a vi- the cast is great. The, the movie, I'd say, as a whole, was really good. I, I think the first half was just phenomenal. Second half, it really started to fall off. And then the last 15 minutes, the last 20 minutes really, really took a turn for the worst. But I still, what would you rate it out of 10? On an IMDb scale? Just on a Michael Vacanti scale. Seven max. Oh, wow. Because of the ending? Well, yeah. I mean, it. Yeah. 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 I feel like it could have. Maybe a six. Wow. Jeez. Started off so strong. Yeah. I mean, like I told you, I didn't, I didn't believe that uh, the villain would like have this change in heart just from seeing the protagonist live righteously. Like he doesn't seem like the type of guy to do that. I don't know what would have spurred him to do that. Maybe I need to give it another watch actually, because now I'm having other thoughts pop into my mind. Part of me, I know it would have ruined the, the pure good of Dan's character but part of me would have liked to have seen dan and um the bad guy ben Mm -hmm. like partner up in some capacity i i felt like that was the direction it was going in it seemed like it and and uh i don't i don't i don't not like that they didn't because it, it it kept in line with how pure good dan was Right is like he didn't sacrifice his morals, his ethics, nothing. He like he was like he he stayed exactly who he was and what he believed is what was right always until right until the end. But another variation of that ending could have been them partnering up in some capacity, which would have been very cool. Would have been entertaining for sure. Yeah, yeah. Always fun to see a, a good guy get corrupt. In a movie. <laughs> you, my friends, still need to watch Count of Monte Cristo. Count, which I'm going to watch tomorrow. I'm going to start it tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning cardio. Because you're hitting workouts and cardio first thing in the AM these days, huh? Dude, I'm, yeah. It's just, uh, it's what everyone should just do it. I've done it for years. And uh... <laughs> I've done it for a week. <laughs> I'm in the middle of my journey. All right. I've been, I'm, in the, I'm right in the middle of it. Right smack dab in the center. Yeah. No. Are you but, fiddling uh, no. with your are you fiddling with your microphone? No, I'm fiddling with the gripper. I'll stop. Got it. it. That's all you're, right. You're I getting just... that feedback, the audio yeah. feedback. Yeah. David's not gonna be happy. Sorry, David. Oh. This though, this is pure. <laughs> What's up with you, man? What do you want to know? I wanna know how how are 
how are you? How are you, Michael Vacanti? I'm I'm solid. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) How are you, Jordan? I feel like that would be that's man, there's so many variations of English. If if someone didn't know English very well, if English wasn't their first language and someone just they heard someone say, I'm solid. That would be so confusing coming from me, like really trying to get better. Like when I started learning Hebrew, I knew literally nothing. And it's, it's difficult when you're learning a language to hear someone say something and you just take it literally. You like, you learn the literal meaning of every word and to hear like, I'm solid. You'd be like, wait, what? Like, why would they say that? You, and they must've misheard it. There's yeah. I don't know. Random tangent. No, I meant it literally. I'm literally solid. I'm you dense. are solid. Physically. Yeah. Dense. Mr. Olympia, 2027. No, that's... Maybe the, 2028. All right, I'll give you a year. I'm not... Uh, unfortunately, as much as I enjoy the solid strength training session now and again, it's not worth the sacrifices that it would take to... Well, first the, of all... Now and worst, again... You do it every week, all like, no, multiple no. times a week. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> you say it like it's a couple times. Yeah, I like to train no, no, now no. and again. <laughs> no, what I meant was now and again, there's a strength training session that is so enjoyable mm. that it's like, wow, should I try to lift weights for a living? But mm. the the costs aren't worth it. Like the actual monetary cost of all of the drugs needed to take in order to achieve that that is a huge (laughs) cost no 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 no, that's not what i meant i meant the physiological cost on my body of taking all of those drugs yeah 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 yeah. that coupled with the cost of that drug yeah well sure plus the cost of the steroids but yeah it's not uh not optimal for for health which isn't you know that's not why those guys are doing it. And it doesn't take away from what they're doing either. A lot of those guys start doing it from a place of body dysmorphia, not because they're trying to be champion. And then all of a sudden they're like, I've got a knack for this. And then that's <laughs> like the one thing they're really good at. And then it grows into a passion. And, you know, but I think a lot of it stems from a body dysmorphia view of themselves, not because they actually want to be champion from the beginning. I, I think the fitness industry needs a pendulum swing away from body dysmorphia. <laughs> I think we've I think we've had enough body dysmorphia. I mean, not the people who genuinely struggle with body dysmorphia, but like the every single person who ever lifted weights has body dysmorphia because why would you want to change yourself if you saw yourself mm-hmm. incorrectly? Like enough. Enough. <laughs> Maybe some. I I think I actually believe what creates most bodybuilders is breakups. And that's an old saying, breakups make bodybuilders. But I think it's anger and pain and and weightlifting becomes the outlet that creates the majority of world-class physiques, more so than a, a mental disorder where they see themselves in a way that is different from reality. I don't think, when I say body dysmorphia, I don't mean that most people are going to the gym necessarily because they they have a, a traditional view body dysmorphia of their body but maybe for a breakup for example we could use that exact same situation they have a breakup and then the guy that the girl starts seeing or whatever 
is much bigger than him or he sees himself relative to other guys and just wants to be bigger because he sees himself as smaller relatively. And then I, I think, and there is, there is especially more recently research coming out showing that people who participate in those things do have significantly more body dysmorphia relative to other people. But I think it's, it's not one or the other. I think often it would probably go hand in hand. I don't think most guys who start weightlifting after a breakup are doing it because the girl is with a guy who has more muscle. I think it's because putting yourself in a place where you have an avenue to see progress and take up your time and get the the physiological benefits and like see progress in any arena uh, makes you feel good mm-hmm. post breakup. I don't think it's it's that literal, but. We can talk about the the research around body dysmorphia. What's that about? I know for me, any like any of those times when I was younger, whether it was a breakup you're, or you're, anything, you're not a bodybuilder. You're, you've no, never no, no, been a bodybuilder. I know, but I'm just it's a different. We'll go a different route then. That's fine. I'm saying for me, like a lot, like every rep was an "I'll show you" rep. You know, like like I'll show you. To, that's like where yep. that is. Like I'll show you, like getting stronger, yep. getting bigger. That that fueled those those angry words. Like I'll show you. That's where so much of that came from. I'll show you fuels fueled Amazon, fueled Tesla, fueled like all of these legends in business have a story of getting bullied, getting beat up, getting etc. I'll show you, um, for sure. But is that a bad thing? No, no. I just, it made me think about that. I was like the, I remember being in my high school gym with the I'll I'll show you reps. Yeah, absolutely. But what's the research around body dysmorphia? Oh man, there's some really interesting research that has come out recently. Ben Carpenter has has spoken a lot about it, but um, for a long time, there wasn't actual legitimate research on bodybuilders and physique competitors and body dysmorphia. And what recent research has been finding is that specifically in regard to the more they do it, the worse it gets, which I, I found was very interesting. So the, the longer that someone spends competing and actually Phil Heath had a, had a amazing, I made a whole video on what Phil Heath said, probably maybe two to four months ago, Phil Heath, one of the greatest bodybuilders, arguably the greatest bodybuilder of all time, but one of the greatest bodybuilders of all time had a video in the last couple of months in which he was like, I've got body dysmorphia and it's the worst it's ever been the last like couple of years. And, and this guy is one, like Mr. Olympia multiple times over one of the greatest bodybuilders. And it goes along with what, what the research has been showing that the longer you do something that is purely focused on how you look, the, the more likely you are to develop and the worse your body dysmorphia gets, which could potentially go against what I said, which is they got into it because they had body dysmorphia. Maybe it's doing it for longer actually exacerbates it, which, I mean, if you're being judged on your physique and every waking moment is spent on trying to make certain parts of your body change, like I, it's very easy to, for me to see how that how that would happen. I think you and I see such different things because like the, the population you're talking about is a population that is We'll just say like physically lean plus decent amount of lean mass, which which is like a a hyper fitness um, group of people, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is in the content, which are in the comment section, which are following you, engaging, et cetera. Mm -hmm. 
in the real world, no one is jacked. Yeah. Like <laughs> no one. You walk down the street, no one. Yeah. No one lifts in the real world. I, some people do, obviously, this exaggeration. But like the percentage of Americans who are overweight or obese, like we don't have a, a problem at scale of body dysmorphia. We have a problem at scale of obesity and of overconsumption. Oh, of course, of course. And, yeah. and so and so I don't know. I do think there's like it, 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 feel, it feels like it gets uh, a lot of attention for what it is. So and maybe I, I'm being unempathetic. Be fair, Go ahead. I mean, I think it's I think it gets a lot of attention. I and I, I will say like I actually I'm I'm glad it's gotten a lot of attention because I think that it's been especially as mental health has become more apparent. One here's a statistic that blew me the fuck away. When we look at at mental health, I think usually the first thing that will come to mind is suicide, suicide rates, mental health. And it's usually one of the first topics of discussion that comes up around like poor mental health as it should. It's a huge problem. Eating disorders have a higher rate of death than suicide and, and then uh, than depression, excuse me. Eating disorders have a higher rate of death than depression in terms of mental health. And that could be because of actual malnutrition. It could be because of suicides. Lane Norton was talking about this recently. How, how, per, per, um, per percentage basis, not an absolute percentage terms. basis. Cor correct. Um, which to me is just like, I'm, I'm very glad that it gets a huge amount of discussion, especially because that was something that Hang on, uh, hang on, hang on. We're talking about body dysmorphia. We're not talking about all eating disorders. Yeah, but I think body dysmorphia and eating disorders, they go hand in hand. I feel like we can't really talk about one without bringing up the other. Do you think that could be because of how – do you think that that could be because eating disorders are more accurately diagnosed, whereas a lot of people who think they have depression have just been playing video games and haven't been outside in like a year? Oh, dude, that's a great topic. Which discussion. massively increases the denominator of that equation, which would lead to the percentage change. I don't know. Is, uh, who but, knows? But yes, I'm, I'm not talking about anorexia or bulimia. I'm talking specifically about body dysmorphia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, that plays a huge role. I also, I also, listen, I have, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist, psychiatrist, any of that. But there's also the whole discussion we made that, um, depression has been over diagnosed in recent years like especially just doctors often over diagnosing it in order to give give medication on it and and whereas people who just if they got outside in the sun took their shoes off uh and not there obviously depression is very real i'm not saying this is for everyone but i think for many people Oftentimes they're what they perceive to be depression or maybe even what they've been told is depression could actually be resolved or, or al almost resolved through social interaction, finding, finding something that uh, gives them a great, like I think one of the struggles with depression is it often makes you not want to do anything. But I, another thing that often makes you not want to do anything is looking at your phone all day scrolling through Instagram, throwing screws, scrolling through TikTok. And I feel like people are just comparing themselves to these fake images, these fake ideas of what other people are doing, which then causes them to feel depressed. And I think there's a major difference between feeling depressed and having depression. And, and so a lot of people who feel depressed are being told that they have depression. And we need to make that huge distinction there and understanding that, hey, 
put your fucking phone down, go outside, get a workout in, chase something you're passionate about. And if you don't have something you're passionate about, try something, go to a class, go to whatever, any, any of these different things, but also making the distinction between having depression and feeling depressed is, is I think a, a, a very under discussed topic nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I don't know where you draw the line between those two because I'm not a, a medical professional and I'm not going to toe the line on this conversation. I feel like I've said enough. <laughs> okay. Man, you really think body dysmorphia is a bigger issue than, than like the complete opposite of it? Than obesity? No, no. The opposite isn't obesity, but the opposite is like c- celebration of obesity, like Lizzo, like this is health on the cover of Cosmo. Yes, I like, absolutely think body dysmorphia is a bigger problem than celebration of obesity, for sure. Really? Yeah, I very much believe that because I think that I, I've the re, here. Oh, it's a great, a great conversation topic. I have gotten, but, but give it to me real. Give it to me yeah, real. I'm not going to not give it to you real. So here, here's why I think it's uh, not as big of an issue. It looks to me as though the health at every size movement has lost an unbelievable amount of steam. I think it peaked and it bottomed out very quickly. Whereas if I'm looking at body dysmorphia, it's a much longer, much slower build. It's like, it's like a, a fire getting more, it's like a wildfire and it start and I think it's getting worse and it's getting worse and it's getting worse for many, many reasons. And I had a lot of people who I can, it's crazy. Cause I can look back in my DMS and I've seen this where people, they followed me and they liked my content and they would send me nice messages. And then in that 2017, 2018, 2019 era, they would message me and be like, I've realized that you're contributing to diet culture and I'm not going to follow you anymore and da, 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 da. And then in like 2021, 2022, these people come back and they say, Hey, I fell for that health at every size movement. I gained 40 pounds and now I'm worse off than I was five years ago. I really need your help. And I'm seeing that these, the celebrations of obesity and the celebrations are relatively short-lived and it's a fringe extreme, whereas body dysmorphia, I see affecting people with obesity. I see it affecting people without obesity. I see it affecting people from, from so many different areas. And it's something that I I've seen the celebration of obesity as something that people are actively choosing to do. And often something that it's, um, they, they almost have to convince themselves of, whereas body dysmorphia is not that at all. It's not a choice. It's not a decision. It's something that often creeps up without realizing it. Um, and so, and, and yeah, so I, I think it's a far bigger, and I also think that body dysmorphia can lead to depression and can lead to obesity and can lead to all of that. Whereas the celebration of obesity, it's, I think it's garnering so many, it's, it has so many real open outspoken critics that I don't see it as big of an issue as actual body dysmorphia. What, when, when we talk about body dysmorphia, which, which is uh, uh, basically seeing something about your physical body that you see as a flaw that isn't actually a flaw. Mm-hmm. L- like what are we, t- if, if you have a guy who is 
you know, 25% body fat who is reasonably strong and sees himself as not lean enough, does he have body dysmorphia? I don't know. I think it's it's definitely more complex than that. I don't think it's so here's I think I think on some level we all have things about our bodies that we don't like. Right? I think everybody in some capacity has that. I think that it would be interesting for me to look across cultures and see okay, let let's look at let's take a tribe in Africa that doesn't have mirrors, that doesn't have any, like none of this stuff, right? They don't have modern technology. It would be very interesting for me to look across cultures like what we have here in the United States in a first world country versus a tribe that doesn't have mirrors, that like is a, a native indigenous tribe that they don't really, maybe it's not a huge part of their discussion. I would be so interested to see if they have parts of their body that they don't like, or if it's just like, no, like I'm really good at hunting. So like, I feel great or like, no, I'm really good at doing this or I'm really good at at whatever it is. So I know it's a little bit uh, of a tangential comment, but um, I think that in some capacity, at least everyone in our modern world has things about their body that they don't like. I don't think that that means that they have body dysmorphia, right? Mm. In the same way that you can feel depressed but you you can feel depressed, but you don't have depression. Okay. And then you can have parts of your body that you don't like without having body dysmorphia. Then then what is body dysmorphia? So that that's the great question. I sort of want to Google it because the way that I view body dysmorphia, if someone is like diagnosed with body dysmorphia is sort of in the same way that I imagine that binge eating is diagnosed, right? Because binge eating is one of those things where- But we, sh- we should be able to look at, we don't need a circular definition. We should be able to figure out what it actually is. Right. Well, so, so I'll explain when we, when someone is diagnosed with binge eating disorder, it's not just like, cause I think it's actually a perfect comparison. Men, like I know there've been times where you'll say like, yeah, I binged. And then I'll be like, well, what'd you have? And you'll tell me, I'll be like, that's it. Like that's your binge. Right. And so in order for someone to be diagnosed with binge eating disorder, there has to be a certain number of criteria met in order to actually say, okay, yes, you have binge eating disorder. It's not just one thing. It's not just two things. I don't don't use that word. I might've said I was a degenerate and ate a lot or something along those lines. And then you said that, but I, I didn't say I binged. So not you, but other people will say, I binged, I binged. And I'll be like, whatever, like, what'd you have? And I'm like, wow, you had two bowls of cereal. Yeah. Good. And that's not a fucking binge. So they use the word, they use the word incorrectly. Correct. So, so, but the other thing is they could have, maybe they binged relative to them, but just because they binge doesn't mean they have binge eating disorder. Just because someone doesn't like something about their body doesn't mean they have body dysmorphia. So this is what I'm getting at. It's like, maybe you could have binged, but you don't have binge eating disorder. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I just don't like the the definition by analogy versus first principles. So that's mental, the thing. I don't know a mental A mental illness involving obsessive focus on a perceived flaw in appearance. The flaw may be minor or imagined, but the person may spend hours a day trying to fix it. So if it, if it is minor, if it is like this last 1% of body fat, if it is these last three pounds and then I'll be happy, if it is... So a minor flaw or a flaw that doesn't exist, that's awful. But I think the majority of people that see their body and want to change it have legitimate reason to want to change their body. It's not body dysmorphia. 
Yeah. They can see them. I, I, like if, if I gained 20 pounds and I was like, oh, I look like crap. I want to lose weight. I don't have body dysmorphia. I actually mm-hmm. want to get to a place where I feel good about myself. Correct. So, so I'm looking at, this is the National Institute of Health. It says body dysmorphia is diagnosed in people who are one concerned about a minimal or non-existent appearance flaw two preoccupied with the perceived flaw. Think about it for at least an hour a day and three experience clinically significant distress or impaired functioning as a result of their concern. So I don't know if this is the the definitive. It's a lot. So I think if someone, the the biggest one for me is the last one. The, The last one that stands out is experience a clinically significant distress or impaired functioning as a result of their concern. So for example, if you're like, Hey, like, fuck, I've got 20 pounds to lose, but then that causes you to eat better and exercise. And it's not causing you to break down and cry and miss work and to, to uh, sabotage your relationship. It's just, if it causes you to actually have better habits, that is not body dysmorphia. But if it's causing you to have negative habits or a a significant amount, and I don't know what that clinically significant is, but if it's actually causing more negatives than positives, that's when I would imagine that's body dysmorphia, right? So that's where I I feel like the distinction lies is that clinically significant amount of time and distress that is spent thinking about it and that like going to the gym and working out in order to improve your body and your health is not body dysmorphia. But there's a difference between going to the gym four times a week and eating better versus going to the gym seven times a week for three hours a day and then and only eating vegetable. You know what I mean? Like there's there's that clinical significance. That's the difference. And that makes complete sense. I just think the population doing the three hours a day, seven days a week, only eating vegetables is this Mm. big. Yeah, I believe that that... That vice is one way that it could be that that clinically significant that that clinically significant time and energy is spent. But I also think there are other ways outside of the over exercising and under eating. I think there are ways in which I'll give you an example. This is one that goes under the radar, and um, so oftentimes women who have uh, severe anor- and I, I know we're not talking about anorexia, but oftentimes they go hand in hand. And this, we can, how we can, when we're characterizing body dysmorphia, one of the things that they'll do is they'll wear very baggy clothes. They'll wear very baggy clothes so that to not draw attention to how skinny they are. And so for me, that behavior of they're not going to change their nutritional habits. They're not changing like, Hey, I need to eat more to gain weight. Oftentimes they'll, I'll try to mask this so people don't get concerned about me and people don't make comments to me because they are, they haven't reached a point in which they can, they, they feel ready to change it yet. So that to me is a, is a behavior that is likely, and I'm not a doctor, clinically significant in terms of they're changing their wardrobe in order to garner less attention towards this. And they're they're not changing their behavior yet because they haven't gotten to that point. So that for me is another potential behavior. Um, but again, we could even look at people who are uh, significantly obese, who might have body dysmorphia, who they go down a different route of of a shame cycle in which like, or, or guilt or whatever it is where now they they avoid going to the gym, they avoid meeting people, but they avoid but going out in public. It's, but it's all three. You have to meet all three of the criteria, right? Correct. Yeah, that's what I, I would imagine from what I just got from the uh, NIH. 
Got it. So, but then it wouldn't be body dysmorphia because it's not a minor flaw and it's not a perceived flaw. And and like I'm using, you know, yet yes, there's distress. Mm-hmm. You're meeting number three, but if Let's if see, you that's that's actually a very good point. If you weigh 400 pounds and and you know that you need to lose weight to be healthier, mm. you don't have body yeah. dysmorphia. Yeah. So actually, I think technically you're you're correct there because it says is diagnosed people who are one, two, and three. It's not and or. So I mean, yeah, if someone is four hundred pounds, and and like, then that's not a minor flaw. Then that's a real health issue. So I think technically, in that case, that's not body dysmorphia. I like that you said health issue because we're not saying like flaw in who you are as a person, but it, but like, right, it is detrimental yeah. to your health. It's not like they have skin folds and they're they're like fourteen percent body fat and they're exactly. like, oh my god, I'm so fat. It's like no, exactly. four hundred pounds. Like this isn't a minor. This is a real health issue. So I think from that perspective, that that actually based on this would not be considered body dysmorphia. That's like, hey, you have a very negative view of your body, and it's it's actually valid. Let's try and fix it through positive health behavior change. We can wrap here. But yeah, I I think that I think it, it's a good talk. Yeah, I agree. But I I think it gets more attention on social media than it's disproportionate to the what the actual problem is. Hmm. Yeah, I think. Here's what I think. I think that there are people on social media who make videos of themselves with like the skin fold issues and, and make it seem like, like, look at, like I have skin rolls too. And they do it from a attention seeking perspective. Look, I've got these rolls too. I'm just like you. And they do it. They want likes, they want views, they want engagement. And from that perspective, those types of posts have become overwhelming and obnoxious. And it's actually, it's, there's actually ill intent behind it because it's not done to try to help. It's done to try and increase engagement. Right. In which case I completely agree. Like that stuff is overdone. Actually, it does more harm than good. And this is potentially my bias because of, of so much of, of what I went through with binge eating and all that. But I love seeing all the real conversation about it. I just don't like the contrived energy seeking behaviors and posts about it. And I think those are absolutely overdone in the same way that I think the, the health at every size movement is, is completely overdone. And, and, and to be fair, I haven't seen any posts about the health at every size movement in a long time. I've seen, I dude, I used to get messages about that every day, multiple times a day. I haven't seen anyone talking about that recently. That's it. It might, you might be in a different echo chamber now. Ever since you put the American, so. you put the American flag up in your background, and the health at every size just scattered <laughs> everywhere. They're like, "Oh, <laughs> we're done messaging Jordan." Oh man, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I hope so because those posts really infuriated me. And if I kept seeing them, I'd continue to make posts about them. But do you see? I know you're you're not you're on a like a non-scrolling thing, but do you see stuff about it? No, but I am not on there. I did see that Lizzo just apparently got accused of fat shaming some of her backup dancers. Yeah, it's. <laughs> Which is very odd. Cause <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't see that. You didn't see that? No. Oh, wow. Yeah, you've definitely not been scrolling. That was a big, big thing. 
I know. I remember when Adele lost weight, like people who loved her turned on her and hated her because you're one of us and now you're not. That was so weird. Yeah. I don't like it when people say you shouldn't compliment weight loss. I understand the reasoning behind it. There, there because there's another one. It, there's okay. There's a one in ten thousand chance that yes, the person has some form of cancer, which is why they lost right. weight and it wasn't intentional. But normally, and you have a little bit of context, you know the person. Right. This friend of mine has always struggled, but he's been getting after it and he's lost weight. Like you can put the puzzle pieces together. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Or even if like because a lot of people don't say it about someone that you don't know. It's like I'm just complimenting them. That's it. Is please, <laughs> like, please relax. Yeah. I'm complimenting them. It's like, I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I can say that you look great. Period. Without you having to worry about like, well, you don't know why they look that way. It's like, well, I think they look great. So like, maybe in a moment in which, maybe if it is that one in ten thousand person who has cancer, it's like maybe they were worried about it and like, oh. Thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it because I was worried about it. And, and you saying that I look really great actually makes me feel good. So, yeah, yeah I, I don't like the idea of, of not complimenting someone for any number of reasons. Like, I don't know. Yeah, that one pisses me off too. Yeah. Is that still a big thing? Um, it's, it's still a thing. It's not as big as it was, but it's still a thing for sure. Yeah. There, I see posts on like how to compliment someone without talking about their body. And I'm like, I understand the intent, but I feel like it's going a little bit too far where it's like, I don't know if I see a dude in the gym and like, I see him work on his shoulders. I've seen him in there every day for six months. I'd be like, man, he looked fucking yoked. Awesome yeah. job. Or like, bro, you've lost 20 pounds. Amazing. Like, yep. Eyes light <laughs> up, face lights up. Yeah. It's like they're pumped to hear it. A hundred percent. Tips to lose weight with a desk job. Oh, bro, bro. Before we go into that steel mace training, that club that mm -hmm. I got, the steel mason mm -hmm. club, oh, yeah, dude, it feels it. so good. I I love it. Are you I sore from it? Not at all. It's it's very isometric based, mm -hmm. and generally not as much soreness comes with the isometric style training. I just feel incredible. the The loaded mobility, especially with the thoracic movement that came with those movements the the rotation the flexion the extension i just haven't moved like that and i feel it's a i think that's a huge problem with modern strength training i was just talking about this with mitch my videographer before we started recording even something like rows dumbbell rows for example obviously an amazing exercise or or a bent over barbell row might be a better example than this but it's a great exercise, but I feel like it's so single plane based. It's just, it's just front to back, front to back. That's it. Just sagittal, sagittal plane. That's all it is. Whereas I love the idea of getting more movement from your spine involved in these more rotation, more flexion to extension, getting more in the transverse plane, moving in a little bit of a horizontal. I think we've been brought up and we've been brought up in a strength and conditioning world that has been so focused on perfect alignment. Everything has to be perfectly aligned and neutral. And I actually think the pendulum has swung way too far. If we look back at old strongman workouts, 
like, you know, there's old, like, I don't know what years they were, but you know, there's like old classic style lifting. They would be bending and they'd be, and they were so strong, but they would be contorting their bodies in all of these ways. And they were strong through all these different ranges of motions and movements. And they had, they, they were so flexible and mobile. It wasn't like they were just strong by today's powerlifting standards. They were strong and mobile and flexible, and they could lift outrageous amounts of weights over their head while doing splits. It's like that comes from movement under load. And oh God, I'm very excited to be incorporating more of this into my training. That's awesome, bro. You got to keep us updated on that. Yeah. I was hoping for more excitement on your end, but okay. <laughs> you showed me it looked cool and I'm glad it feels good. And I agree with your, your, uh, assessment of lack of of uh moving the spine within each individual rep of the most common exercises that we do did you do a podcast already today no why you got a lot of coins I can tell you got a lot of coins bro i was just really excited to speak with you <laughs> no 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 just no. love speaking my best friend you already filmed some stuff with mitch i think no minimal minimal a lot of planning for filming stuff oh, okay all right I did have a bowl of oatmeal, and then after this podcast, we're going to eat a bowl. Just, I just had a straight-up bowl of oatmeal, and then I had that at, like, 9.30. And then it's been now, like, four, four and a half hours, and then I'm going to have the bowl of oatmeal with a protein source to test the difference in blood sugar response to see if there's any change based on just adding the protein to it. Cool. Cool. Keep us updated on that. Cool story, bro. All right. What's next? What's next? Tips to lose weight with a desk job. You want to start? <sighs> what? You don't have to lose weight. That's why do you think you need to lose weight? Well, APOB is super high. And uh, it's, a mi- it's a minor flaw. Falls under minor <laughs> flaw. Continue. <laughs> And I don't want to go on statins and my blood pressure is up. I'm only getting 1700 steps a day on a good day. Can't run around with my kids without being out of breath. It's a perceived flaw. (laughs) (laughs) These are all perceived. Society has put these on you. Yeah. And why do you want I don't to run even consider myself kids? part of society at this point <laughs> because I'm so against all of these things. So it's, the, it's the, not real. The fact of the matter is, uh, you know, so many of us work desk jobs and the mechanics, the mechanism of weight loss works the same. It's just a little bit, takes a little bit more planning and effort to get activity in, right? Nothing's changing on the intake side. Maybe your uh, your daily calorie intake's a little bit lower than someone who's in an equal position but has a, a job where they're on their feet. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty much the same across the board for the rest of it. What do you think of side bends? The exercise side bends. Uh, I'm I'm not a fan of side bends. Why? I'm not a fan of side bends because I think I get enough oblique work through everything else. Yeah. And because they're not yeah. loaded properly. Like if you were to do a if you were to do a side bend correctly, I think you would want to do it at uh like somehow locked in 
with your body parallel to the ground holding a dumbbell mm-hmm. so that it's it's like people who do uh who are warming up for chest day and they do these like they hold the weights <laughs> and and they're like doing this thing with the weights internal external rotation yeah. standing yeah. up yeah exactly yeah. it's like but but the you know gravity is pulling the weight down like if you're going to do that external rotation you should be laying prone doing it mhm yeah same thing with side bends not to mention yeah i know you like them because louis liked them and louis likes packing muscle on everywhere i wasn't going to say no that's not what i was going to say at all like i think i think most people do them completely wrong i was bringing it up because i was just right now bending to the side and trying to feel that spinal that spinal lateral flexion mm-hmm. and just thinking, man, I feel like if people did them properly, because I think most people, when they do a side bend, they actually shift the hips too much. It's coming from their hips. It's not actually coming from their oblique for mm-hmm. the reasons that you mentioned, because they're standing up and they, they shift the hip and they're actually not training their obliques properly. But it would be cool to try a side bend variation that not necessarily for oblique strength, but actually just for spinal movement, just for just for getting a bigger range of motion and and like from like that mid to upper back range, just like lightweight, not heavy, just trying to take your spine through a bigger range of motion, that lateral flexion. Yeah. I'm not a bit, I've, I've never programmed, um, side bends for a person ever. Literally. I don't think I've ever not once programmed side bends for anyone except for myself just to try them out but i've never in however many years i've been doing this been like yeah i want to put side bends in this person's training program it's just <laughs> like i don't think i've ever done it yeah yeah plus if you do them you have to stand in front of the dumbbells and block everything because that's the only place i've ever seen them done so that's another negative yep you could do it right in the squat rack if you wanted to. Just take never, the dumbbell. I'd, <laughs> I suppose. But I've never seen it. I've only seen it right in front of the rack. Yep. Yeah. You don't want to talk about weight loss with a desk job. You feel like that one's been... Uh, We've just spoken about it so many times. And, and I feel like... You're not a weight loss guy anymore. Dude, I, I'm losing weight. I'm <laughs> over five pounds down in 15 days. Don't no, tell no, me I'm no, not, not a weight loss guy. Not you for yourself. What do you mean? I mean, you've talked enough about weight loss. You don't want to talk about it anymore. Dude, I'll talk about it all day. <laughs> I'll talk about I'll, I'll talk about it all, all day. I'll talk about it. I'm just, the weight loss with a desk job, here's what you do. You sit at your desk and you eat fewer calories than you need to maintain your current weight. That's it. Yeah, that's well said. Right. I mean, if we want to like go more in depth and discuss like, okay, well, every, every hour, make sure you get up for 10 minutes and go on a walk and also make sure you could get a desk cycle underneath your desk so that you can pedal, which like actually I think is a great suggestion or (laughs) get a fucking walking pad and like keep it next to your desk. It's very quiet or, um, like there are so many things that we could discuss, but I feel like we've just spoken about it so much, but I'll talk about it all day. Did you read Die With Zero by Bill Perkins? No, no, I didn't. But I feel like I got the gist of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. But he throws some some interesting math there. The, the premise of the book is 
And this really only applies to people who are like ultra conservative and oversave and underspend and they're kind of pack rats and they work their life away just to accumulate this giant nest egg and then they die. And he's making the point that you should have spent some of that nest egg and enjoyed experiences over the course of your life. Or you should have worked less to accumulate the mm. nest egg because you didn't need it all because you died with so much that was essentially he would call it like wasted hours. And there there are counter arguments like, oh, what about my kids? Like, you know, you can gift your kids money throughout the course of your life rather than saving up and just having it divvied out when you die. Um, but what this makes me think of is this example he gives in the book of this single mom who works her butt off her entire life and uh, and ends up dying with however much money, which converted into like four years of full-time work that she didn't mm. have to do. Mm. And and so I, I just continue to see this problem where working full-time at a desk job is clearly not good for us. Mm -hmm. And so many of us do it. And it would be amazing to, for lack of a better term, unplug from the matrix and and consumerism and spend less and have less extravagant things so that you can work less, so that you can use that time, which does make it really difficult. You can use that time to focus on other things. And those might be like Bill Perkins talks about positive experiences, um, or it could be focusing on your own health. Bro, you have no idea how much I love that. That that lifestyle is why is one of the reasons I fell in love with Israel. Mm -hmm. I know you've, you've probably heard me tell the story of how like I went to that shop at like two in the afternoon. I was going to get deodorant or something. And it was a beautiful day. And the owner of this shop was closing the door. It was like one of those like, you know, the New York City doors. It's like the metal. You pull it down so that people can't come in and steal stuff or, or like break the windows or whatever. He was pulling that down. I was like, whoa, what's going on? He's like, ah, it's two in the afternoon, but it's it's a beautiful day. So I'm going to take my kids to the beach. It's like that. I love that. And I feel like that's one of the reasons why often other cultures live longer, rate higher on a happiness scale. They're outside more. They're, they, they, work to live they don't live to work mm. and i feel like the generally the western culture lives to work and that through technology and, and innovation has led to desk jobs mm -hmm. right that's mm -hmm. people live to work at their desk whereas in often other cultures whether it's uh, i think we see it a lot in italy i think we see it a lot in greece we see it a lot uh, definitely in, in the middle east as well people work to live and they they spend a, they uh, they they work hard in many many ways, but they also they rest hard and they relax hard and they they uh, they have such a, a strong community bond with their with their with their culture with their community with their surroundings their neighbors all of that like yeah that's I I could not love that more. Have you heard the fable of the Mexican fisherman? I don't think so. You just Google it. I'm gonna read this to you. All right, all right. You ready? You're gonna like this. Should that be the title of this episode, The Fable of the Mexican Fisherman? That, that would be cool. I think we go body dysmorphia, though. I think you drop some good knowledge on that. Maybe we could SEO for this fable, though, <laughs> for anyone else who's Googling it. I, <laughs> if you're interested in learning about the Mexican fisherman, would you rather 
type it in and then see an article that has it? Or would you rather listen to 48 minutes of a podcast just and listen to these two idiots just go on and on about various subjects and then listen to one of them read it to you? Definitely body dysmorphia title. Okay. Are you ready, Jordan? I'm ready. An American investment banker was taking a much-needed vacation in a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. The boat had several large, fresh fish in it. The investment banker was impressed by the quality of the fish and asked the Mexican how long, how long it took to catch them. The Mexican replied, only a little while. The banker then asked why he didn't stay out longer and catch more fish. The Mexican fisherman replied he had enough to support his family's immediate needs. The American then asked, but what do you do with the rest of your time? The Mexican fisherman replied, I sleep late, fish a little, play with my children, take siesta with my wife, stroll into the village each evening where I sip wine and play guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy life, senor. The investment banker scoffed. I am an Ivy League MBA and I could help you. You could spend more time fishing and with the proceeds, buy a bigger boat. And with the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats until eventually you would have a whole fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to the middleman, you could sell directly to the processor, eventually opening your own cannery. You could, you could control the product, processing, and distribution. Then he added, of course, you would need to leave this small coastal fishing village and move to Mexico City, where you would run your growing empire. The Mexican fisherman replied, but senor, how long will all this take? To which the American replied, 15 to 20 years. But what then? Asked the Mexican. The American laughed and said, that's the best part. When the time is right, you would announce an IPO and sell your company, to, comp and sell your company stock to the public and become very rich. You could make millions. Millions, senor. Then what? To which the investment banker replied, then you would retire, you would move to a small coastal fishing village where you would sleep late, <laughs> fish a little, play with your kids, take siesta with your wife, stroll to the village in the evenings where you could sip wine and play guitar with your amigos. I love that. That's, dude, that's great. I had never heard that before. Yeah. The fable of the Mexican fisherman. That's powerful. I love that. Yeah. Now I want to have some wine and go fishing. Yeah. <laughs> I was zero. I'm, I'm four chapters in. It is. Like like you said, you kind of gather the gist of it from the title, but mm -hmm. there there's still definitely some some uh, benefit to be picked up from. Oh, was that was that from that book? He included no, that in the book. No, 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 no. But this just oh. it's a similar con you know it's it's all long live to work, work to live. Like you know, uh, keeping up with the Joneses. You need this kind of car. You need to live in this neighborhood. You need to do all of these things that cost money, have this kind of bag, wear these kinds of clothes that lead, that are essentially like units of energy that you're investing in, in something that's air, that's like reputation, basically. Uh, whereas those units of energy or time spent working could be spent doing something else. I love that. Yeah, And it makes me think, specifically relevant to coaches who might be listening to this. And I know actually there are a fair amount of people who are not coaches who listen to this, which like we appreciate you listening. Um, but specifically for the coaches, like there are many coaches who have, whether it's 15, 20, 30, 40, whatever clients. And they're like, oh, I want to have a huge business. I want to have a huge, I want to build a big business. It's like, if you've got 20 online coaching clients, 
you could have such amazing work-life balance. You could spend a few hours answering emails, spend a few hours making programs a week, and then you could go fishing. <laughs> you could play guitar with your amigos. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's like that's one of the things where, and I don't regret anything that I've done. I'm very, very proud of what I've built. And I'm very, I'm, I'm very glad I did it. But who knows? Maybe I could have been much happier if I didn't. My life could have been completely different if I didn't. And, and you're right. So it's like there's, there's, um, that's what I'm trying to do now is spend less time working and and more time being with family, being with friends, and just relaxing. But. I wish someone had given me that advice when I was younger and, and I wish I had read the Mexican fable about the Mexican fisherman because who knows, maybe, maybe I would have heated, headed, I don't know the right word, maybe it would have heed, hud, headed the advice, heated the advice. Maybe it would have fallen on deaf ears. Who knows? But um, I think it's very important. And in hindsight, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a great message. Yeah, and and if it hits for you, if it lands, great. If not, maybe it's not meant for you because I agree. If you would have told me that, and I heard that at various points in my life, and and you know, everyone's different. Everyone has different security needs. Everyone has different ambitions, and it's not a judgment. But a lot of us do get swept up into the way that we act based on the culture that we're in, not based on how we really want to live our lives. Yeah. Good episode. Thank you very much for listening. We're back every Tuesday. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, please leave a five-star review. Helps us grow the pod. We would really appreciate it. Only takes less than one minute. Thank you. <laughs>